Okay, let's have a seat, everybody. Let's have a seat. Uh, this time of year, there's a mission agency called Open Doors that tries to help the persecuted church. And they remind us that we should pray for roughly 350 million Christians that are under stress, persecuted. Many of them will lose their life this year. And so I want to show you a quick video to kind of highlight that. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening I was out with my daughter and on our way home we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together every day. Our children were old enough, we're ready to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left.
Lord of Bible. Parts of Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. this Bible, it reminds me of God's faithfulness. Naked I came from my mother's womb, but naked I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is a husband to all widows. I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we approach you and ask that you'd pour out your power, your grace on those that love your name but are paying a dear price for it. We ask for protection today. We ask for the ministry of angels. We ask, Lord, for hope and faith. And we pray, Lord, where your people are pressed the hardest, the gospel will spring forth. And Lord, millions would come to Christ. Now as we study your word, give us a sense of importance today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. If you're new to the church or you're watching online today, we took a couple-week break from our going chapter verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and so we will talk about reaping the earth's harvest. Now, just a reminder, 
If you weren't here last week and didn't turn in your yellow card and you would still like to, you can place it in the basket or you can mail it in to the church. Now, before we get into the text today, I want to review a little bit, but I want to help you see some stuff. I would urge you to use your imagination when you're reading these texts, when you're reading the scripture, put yourself there. Ask questions about it. Who, what, when, where, how, how does this work out? Lord, what are you saying? And try to visualize it. Don't read it. Try to visualize it because the Lord is the one that gave imagination. And it's to help you understand truth. Now, without reading these verses, I want to review just a little bit. Is that okay? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The review starts in verse number six. And that's where we see the first of three mighty, majestic angels that circle the globe delivering messages. And these pronouncements, the scripture says, I think it's verse 6, verse 7. These are given to every nation on the face of the earth, to every tribe, every clan, every language group, and every people group. So nobody's left out. They all get this message. The purpose of these three, now this is, my my job is to just share what the scripture says. I will attempt to bring in some understanding, but my understanding, like everybody that teaches the scripture, is usually off a little bit. It's your job to study the scriptures, not my job to tell you what it says. So I see these three Angels, as they circle the globe, making sure there's no ambiguity. People can't say, I didn't understand. To make sure there are no excuses. Nobody on the planet at this time will be able to say, well, I just didn't know. Well, we've had three super beings circle the globe, communicating three important truths, And they're doing it almost like a loudspeaker. Everyone say loudspeaker. What are the messages? The first, we read in verse 6, this first angel proclaims the eternal gospel. The gospel means good news. And this angel is giving one last opportunity for people to make a decision for Christ. And the best verse, maybe the first verse, you ever memorize is John 3 16 would you please repeat it with me please for God so loved the that he gave his that whoever believes in should not perish but have eternal life the second message is that Babylon the great The Antichrist empire had fallen, past tense. It has actually not happened yet, but this angel speaks like it's a 
it's a done deal. It's going to happen. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks and try to give some explanation what that means. The third message is very important. Now, we've gone through a time in our history, in our city, in our state, in our nation, where things got shut down. Banks were shut down. Churches were shut down. Airlines were shut down. Uh, businesses were shut down. It was a difficult time for us. I think it's kind of a tune-up for what's coming. And this point alone is what worth us doing an eight-month study of the book of Revelation. Because this third angel warns the people on earth. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, do not worship the beast, which is who? The coming Antichrist or his image. And we've already studied that. The scripture says there will be a third temple built in Jerusalem. And the Antichrist will probably broker this deal between the Jews and the Muslims people. So it's a peacemaking thing, and he will pay for it. It's my my conjecture, okay? And he will set his image up in the temple. And when that happens, better when you see the construction on the temple, uh, you know we're getting very close to this. And I've been to Israel six times. I have seen Orthodox Jews have assembled every single piece that will be needed for that third temple. They are ready to go. Which tells me we're getting very, very close. And then the angel says, whatever you do, don't take the mark. Everyone say the mark. Don't take the mark in two places. I don't know how this works. The forehead or the hand. We have technology right now where a small device, hardly noticeable, can be implanted in a person's hand that will have all your data stuff on it. I had someone in our goes to our church bring me a couple weeks ago uh, what they have actually done with their company that actually has those, and she showed me two of them. Now, whether this is it, I do not know, but this is what Jesus said. The time is coming. There will be great pressure to take that mark. Now, there will be a rapture of the church. I just don't know when that's going to happen. And the scripture says this, because there's a lot of Christians on earth during this time. In chapter 13, we read a couple weeks ago where no one will be able to buy. No one will be able to sell unless they've taken this mark. That means you can't go to Kroger, can't register your car, can't buy gas, can't go to the ER, can't register your kid for school. Political freedom is gone. Religious freedom is gone. Okay, now here's another point I want to make. We're not going to fret. We're not going to worry. There will be people that will resist this. There will be nations that will resist this. 
But it's better to serve and reign with Christ forever than just to submit to the Antichrist and his thugs for a few short years. That's how I think about this. Now, do I have your attention? Yes or no? Okay. Now let's read the next segment that we're going to talk about. I'm going to read it, do some explanation, but you wrestle with it. Verse 14, then I looked and behold, there was a white cloud. What, what color was the cloud? And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head with a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now we see in this verse... A cloud, which is, I think, the Shekinah glory of God. It reveals a glorious majesty of the one that's coming and the one that is in the midst of this cloud. And then it tells us who that person is. One like the Son of God. Please say it with me, please. uh, Son of God. And this term refers to no one else but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it reveals his incarnation. You know what that is? It means when God became flesh. That's what we celebrate this time of year. That's called the incarnation. Documented in history. A man named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to live as a man in order to die for our sins. Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. But he's possessed with normal humanity. He had to come as a man in order to pay for the sins of mankind. Normal humanity means he got tired. He was hungry. He needed to sleep. His flesh was tempted, but he always said no. But it also shows complete divinity. He was not 50-50. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. That is how the Lord Jesus came. Now, when we talk about the Son of God, it implies his deity. Everyone say deity. And here we see the centurion, this professional military man that saw hundreds of men die in excruciating ways when Christ took his last breath in amazement. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, the son of man has a different picture. And actually, this is how Jesus referred to himself most of the time in the Gospels. And that implies his humanity. I just checked how many times the term son of man was used in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and 81 times. 
When I was called into the ministry as a 20-year-old lifeguard at Myrtle Beach, I was uh, in a cabin by myself. I'd been seeking the face of God. I no longer wanted what I used to want. I no longer wanted to be governor. No, wanted, no longer wanted to be on some kind of stage. Oh, I guess I am. <laughs> and I begged the Lord to use me. I asked him if he would use me. I would be honored to serve him with everything I had the rest of my life. And he, I encountered him in that cabin. He spoke to my heart. He gave me some Bible verses to uh, write down. And one of them, that this one that's marked my life. It was about him. The son of man has come to seek. And to save that which was lost. It's like he's saying, Steve, I want you to give your life for people who have no hope. I want you to go after them. I want you to love them. I want you to tell them about me. Now, the next thing we see in the passage, the Son of Man is wearing a golden crown on his head. Now, there is no artistic rendering of Jesus that even comes anywhere close to his glory and beauty and majesty. But the golden crown in the New Testament is used in two different ways. Just crown, the word crown. The first one is diadem. Everyone say diadem. One more time, diadem. Don't go to sleep on me. We'll stay at four o'clock. And diadem is a crown that a king wears. And we see that in Revelation 19 when he comes back on the white horse. This is what he's wearing. But the other crown in this passage is not a diadem. It's a Stephanos. Everyone say Stephanos. And it is a victor's crown. And it's what was used in the Olympics. When a man was victorious wrestling or boxing or hurdling or 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 uh, jumping or running long distance or sprinting. These athletes were given a crown, maybe olive branch with leaves on it. Or a Roman general, if he won a battle, he would come through the streets of Rome with his victor's crown on his head. But this is not leaves that are perishable. This is a golden crown. Uh, Who is this gentleman? He was in church last Sunday. No, he wasn't. Uh, He has had some success. They say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. He's won a few Super Bowls. How many Super Bowls has he won? Who knows? How many? How many? Uh, Actually, it is seven. Seven Super Bowls. Seven Super Bowls. Uh, Who is this lovely lady? Serena Williams. She may be the greatest female tennis player of all time. She has won titles, and those titles are called Grand Slam titles. Does anybody know how many she has won? No cheating on your phone. How many? How many? 23 is correct. 23 is correct. Bingo. And who is this gentleman? 
Michael Phelps, probably the greatest Olympic athlete of all time. How many gold medals does he have on his mantle? How many? How many? 23. 23. 23. You have to stay after church. (laughs) No, you don't. Okay, my name is Stephen, which means crown one. I don't think my mom or dad knew what that meant. They thought it was knucklehead or, or hey you or slow boy, come over here. I don't know. But it means Stephen, which kind of makes me feel like a king, you know, because I got the victor's crown. But instead of like Michael Phelps or Serena, I'm actually more like this king right here. I do have some titles, though. Here's one of my best titles. Uh, How many Whoppers do you think Steve has actually eaten over his life? Anybody want to guess? Uh, Who knows? Who knows? It's unlimited. Oh, is this you, Steve? Okay, we got the usual. Now, what I'm showing you and what the scripture is talking about, the fact that he is wearing the victor's crown means he wins. He wins all the time. What are you afraid of if you're on his team? Why are you worried? Why are you acting like he's not going to help you? He wins. He has the Stephanos on his head, which means he triumphed over the grave, the devil, sin, sickness, it all. Jesus is what? Help me out. Jesus is Lord. You know that scripture? Say it with me, please. Jesus is? Say it louder. Jesus is? One more time. Jesus is? Lord of all. And King of all kings. And He alone, He alone has the right to rule. He alone has the right to judge. Because judgment has been given to Him, He said by the Father. Now the Lord Jesus next had a sharp sickle in His hand. This is what was used in farming, agriculture, a sickle. You'd use that to chop down wheat and other uh, things that you were growing on your farm. And what we we just read, and we're going to read further, it seems to me like there are two harvests here. Two distinct harvests. One is a harvest of souls... Say it with me, please. Souls. And the other one is a harvest of sin. Clear distinction right down in this passage. Now, we just read it, but John wrote. Let's follow what John wrote. Let's follow what the scripture says, that there's another angel. Everyone say another angel. He shouted for the Savior. He spoke to the one on the cloud. And he said, take your sharp sickle into the harvest to reap. Because the hour is perfect. The Father's timing is spot on in world history. And you're going to see this because the earth is ripe. 
Now, if you've been hanging around for a while and you've, you've been here as we've gone through these, some of them very difficult passages, you may, Steve, I don't get it. Why is all this so important? Why are we studying? Why are we giving so much time to this? I want you to know the best part of any book is at the end of the book. Because it wraps everything up. And we're getting closer and closer to the wrapping up. And I don't know how long this will be. I cannot project. I just know we're getting closer and closer. And he'd say, Steve, do you think this is really going to happen this way? I go, it's really going to happen this way. You can believe what you want to. You can bury your head in the sand. But Jesus said it was going to happen. And I'm going to go with him. And right now, this day, I don't know about tomorrow, but this day, we have a window. Everyone say window. A window of opportunity. Where people in Cambodia and people in the Philippines and people in British Columbia and people in Cyprus and people in Germany and people in Chicago can give their heart to Christ and be saved and be forgiven. Have their names written in the book of life. Because the window is open. But this is showing us that there's a time the window will not be open. That's why we have to do all we can in the time we've got. Now when I first read this, this was odd to me. I thought, this is kind of rude. I mean, an angel shouting at the Savior. Doesn't the angel know he's the king? Doesn't the angel know he's the creator? Doesn't the angel know he's the Lamb of God? Doesn't the angel know he's at the Father's right hand? And he's shouting at our Savior? And then I thought, no, he's not shouting at the Savior because the Savior is calling the shots. The Savior told him what to say and when to say it. It is an alert. Everyone say alert to everybody on earth. It is an alert to all the demon lords. It is a shot across the bow that this is the time of the harvest, the greatest harvest of salvation in the history of the world. If you have to be alive, this is the greatest time to be alive. If you're going to raise children, this is the best time to have children because you're going to raise up warriors. This is the fourth quarter, whenever it happens. This is the greatest harvest in the history of the world. This is what we're playing for. Now, let me pause, take a breath, turn around one time. Okay, I'm better. I want to give you a little paradigm deal to help you understand the book of Revelation. It's kind of like a movie. Kind of like a popular movie. I enjoy movies as long as they're, they help me and they don't make me go down a bad path. Revelation is kind of like a movie. How is it like a movie? Because the storyline goes back and forth like a lot of movies. Revelation doesn't just start here in chapter 1 and end over here in chapter 2. It does, but it doesn't. Because it goes back and forth. The timeline changes. And if you're not observing carefully... You go, well, that's, that's I, 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 we're, we just changed scenes. Why did, why did we change scenes? 
I mean, my wife and I will be watching a movie. She said, what just happened? I have completely lost. I don't even know what they're talking about. I go, I don't either, but I'll pretend that I do. So this is what I think it is. Are you with me? It changes scenes. And every chapter, it changes scenes like one of these movies about three times in every chapter. And it repeats important themes. What we read about in chapter 7, we are seeing again in chapter 14. Why does it repeat? Why does it look different? To make sure you're paying attention. Don't overthink this. And it replays earlier events like some of these movies. You're here in current time. And all of a sudden they flash back to something that happened 30 years ago in the movie. What happened in the character's life? Revelation does the same thing. Now, let's look at our next verses. Are you still here? Yes? Okay, verse 17. Then another angel, say another angel, came out of the temple in heaven. Did you know there's a temple in heaven? The tabernacle that Moses erected was based on the temple in heaven. The temple in Jerusalem was based on the temple in heaven. The measurement, the function. And he too had a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar. Where where had he been? The where? Help me out. Where had he been? He had been at the altar. And this is an angel had authority over fire. What fire? He called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, the previous angel. Put in your sickle. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for the grapes are ripe. Verse 19, so the angel swung his sickle across the earth. He gathered the grapes, the grape harvest of the earth. He threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Looks like hard stuff. The winepress was trodden outside the city. Everyone say outside the city. That's important. What city? And the blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle, 1,600 stadia, or that's about 200 miles. Okay, buckle on your seatbelts. Another angel comes out of the temple in heaven. He's got a sharp sickle too. This is followed by another angel. And my guess, this next angel was in charge. The scripture says he has authority over fire. What fire? I think it's at the altar of the incense of the altar of heaven. We studied that a couple weeks ago. Chapter 6, chapter 8. The altar of incense in heaven symbolizes the prayers of God's people through the centuries. Now look at this drawing. This is a drawing of Solomon's temple where the priest goes to the altar of incense, which was about this size and about this tall. It had a mixture of five spices on it. And the the priest would take coals from the brazen altar where the animals were burned, And bring them there and those hot coals would ignite the spices. 
and the most wonderful fragrance would fill the air. And there's two sections in the temple. There's a holy place. Then there's about a 60-foot tall curtain that's about this thick. And I don't remember exactly, it may be 40 feet wide where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. But this small box, this altar of incense, was right there. And it symbolized the prayers of his people. And the scripture says it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And when I was in Jerusalem a year, a number of years ago, a young Jewish girl from Chicago was talking to us about each one of the, imp- the implements of the temple that they have reconstructed. And she said this incense was so wonderful that when it was ignited, the women of Jerusalem never had to wear perfume because it would be in their hair constantly. It was such a wonderful smell. It was burned twice a day. In the temple. Revelation chapter 5 says. Our prayers. Are like the bowls of incense. And they are the prayers of the saints. And it's my guess. This angel is coming from the heavenly altar. He's got a job. His job is to ensure that all the prayers of all the believers over all these centuries are put in action. And the scripture says it is a pleasing aroma to the Father. I want you to know your prayer life is the most important thing going on. Your intake of scripture and your prayers. The devil tells you, God doesn't listen to your prayers. The devil tells you your prayers aren't making a difference. I'm telling you your prayers are eternal. They are treasured. They are kept by the Lord. And they work long after you and I are off the planet. Every single prayer is effective. And so this angel, he's going to make sure these prayers are carried out. And the prayers are in three categories in my understanding. That sin will be done away once and for all. Someone say amen. Amen. Done away with sin. Done away with the devil. And judgment to come. The Lord will make all things right. That's going to be a wonderful day. And the kingdom will come in all its glory and beauty. And he's going to make sure all this happens. Now. The angel with the sickle has called for this to commence. This is the second harvest. The harvest of sin. He's going to take care of this. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Are you ready? Question? Everybody look at me. Question? Can I ask you a question? Ready? Here's a question. Is it good or bad for evil to be judged? Forever. Is it good or bad? You say, Steve, this is a trick question. Well, yeah, maybe. No. Pretty straightforward. So is it good or bad? What do you think? Good or bad? Trick question. Bang it. Committing to nothing here. Okay. Let me explain. I think this is good. 
This is the Lord's plan. I think this is good because all sin, all evil will be judged. Like, well, what kind of sin? What kind of evil? All lying. Anybody ever lied? Hold your hand up. You ever lied? Hold your hand up. If you didn't, you just. <laughs> all lying, all stealing, all blasphemy. Time I was a teenager, I swore some awful. Racism. Idolatry, war. On UK's campus about three weeks ago, there was a drunk college student, white girl, and for a long period of time, she said the most horrible things toward a sweet, controlled African-American young woman. And somebody videotaped it. They videotape everything. And it's gone viral And racism is still real because we still have sin. We still have flesh. And then division will be judged, strife, violence. We live in a violent world. Murder. I think we just passed a murder record for our city last week. Abuse will be judged. Drunkenness will be judged. Selfishness, do I have anybody who's been a little selfish? Hold your little selfish hands up. Addiction, you've been greedy. Got lust deal going on, got the lust train going. Don't want anybody to know. Fornication, do you know what that is? That is having sex with anybody before marriage. It's not good. It'll hurt you every time. Adultery is having sex with somebody that is not your spouse after marriage. Not good. Witchcraft is inviting the devils to come into your house and live. Not good. Homosexuality, rebellion, fear, worry, pride, bitterness, laziness. I won't ask for hands, but go ahead and point at your... No, don't do that. Uh, just Did I leave any of your sins out? Hold your hand up if I left your sin out so we can put it up on the screen. Okay, rhetorical question. Would it be good if all these bad things disappeared? What do you think? Would that be good? Yeah, I, I think that'd be really good. I kind of look forward to this day because I've wrestled with some of this stuff. Hopefully it's behind me now, but I've wrestled with some of this stuff. Here's the good news. Where is this? This is Gatlinburg. This is Pigeon Forge. <laughs> this is Corinth in Greece. I got to walk those streets about 20 years ago. Pretty incredible. Paul lived there for about a year and a half. Rough place. Wild, wild west. It was a seaport town. They had a canal there. Professional Roman soldiers who retired were given land grants there. People from all over the world. If it was evil, you could do it there. It was a rough place. To st- Paul said, where do you want to start a church? Let's go to Corinth. And he says this curious thing at the end of chapter 6, verse 11. He turns to his church family. Should I do that with you? I shouldn't. Am I? And such were some of you. In other words, where did he get his church membership? I just listed the qualifications. But he said this. 
Are you ready? But you guys who chose to follow Christ, you were washed. Everyone say washed, which means you are forgiven. It's over and done. You were sanctified. Everyone say sanctified, which means you were made separate. You're not one of them anymore. You belong to him. You don't belong to the devil. You belong to him. And you were justified. Everyone say justified. Which means legally in the eyes of God, you're free. You're pardoned. Now the wine press. I need to talk about this. I wanted to be very gracious and not graphic about this. Here's a picture. The Lord said to John, everybody would believe, would understand what wine press is. Can you see, can you see it up here? This was how wine was made 2,000 years ago. Israel has a lot of limestone. Limestone is perfect. It's easy to dig and carve. It holds liquids like forever. So that's why they made their wine presses here. So the vat at the top, you put the fresh grapes in there. I mean, they're ripe grapes. You have people that trod them down. There is a little dam where that canal starts, and it's made of fibers and thorns and other things trying to trap the residue that you don't want to go into the bottles. And then it would sit in the vats. Sit in the vats maybe three days. First day, those vats would bubble and churn with the fermentation process. By the third day, if all that was done, it meant that the wine was ready. Then it would be placed in jugs or jars, or if it was going to be carried in wine skins. Now, Steve, why, why is this a picture of what's coming? It's a preview of the battle. The last military campaign in Earth's history as we know it. Important picture to get. Well, how important is it? Well, the armies of the nations, and this is for talks further on, the coalition that joins the Antichrist empire that will march against Israel, they will coalesce here. This is the Jezreel Valley in northern Israel. Eisenhower wanted to see it when he was there. Napoleon pulled out his Bible. He wanted to see it. And he said this, it is the most perfect battlefield in all the earth. Scripture is true. And these armies will begin to march toward Jerusalem. Now you see in the white the white is the Jezreel Valley. And the scripture we just read, I kind of hinted at it. I kind of pointed out the scripture says this will happen 
outside the city. What city? Jerusalem in the south. So the 80 miles south, the armies will move forward. Now, practically every army in the history of the world, in this part of the world, has come through that valley. It is where Asia, Africa, and Europe meet. And if an army is going to Africa, it's got to come through this valley. The Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, the British, the French, all came through, the Philistines, all came through this valley. And these armies will come through the valley. I want you to remember wine press. This will be the final battle of the seven-year period called the Tribulation. And it's not really a battle as much as it is a campaign that may stretch over two, two and a half years. This illustration lets me know that the carnage described. is evident that the Antichrist coalitions and the other nations that show here is not going to go very well for these rebels. Don't ever be a rebel against God. Always join his side. Always obey him. Always love him. Being a rebel is costly anywhere and anytime. Now here's what we read in the scriptures. And I don't know if I got a understanding at all i'm trying to figure it out the scripture says the blood in this battle will be as high as a horse's bridle which is about four maybe even six feet off the ground now i don't know what that means i don't know if it will be splashed or it could be some of these places like Israel and Jordan and Syria, when they have flash floods, what was dry 30 minutes ago can drown you because there's so much water running down these valleys and wadis. And it could be the blood mingled with torrential rains. It looks like this. Here's a guy. This is a Jordan River. And he's lost his car and may lose his life if he doesn't make some good decisions. And the scripture says up to 200 miles in directions. Now, we're not going to go into this. We'll talk about this later. But you, this is a simple map. I think it's pretty accurate just on what the scripture says. The players may not be exactly who we think, but it looks like you have an Arab army marching from the south. It looks like you have an Asian army, large army, huge army, moving west from the east. I've been in places like Nepal and other places where the Chinese government is building these huge four-lane highways in the middle of nowhere going west. And I wonder, why are they doing this? They never do anything. What's this reason? And then... The kings of the north, which my guess is probably going to be Russia. And then the Antichrist forces from Europe. Now here's the conclusion. 
Worship team, if you guys could begun, get, begin to come out. Sometimes I hear people make statements like this. Maybe you've made statements like this. I hope not, but maybe you have. Sometimes people say, hey, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and violence. I'm not about that. That was then. That is not now. I worship a God of the New Testament who is all warm and fuzzy love and grace. You don't, doesn't matter how you live. He'll forgive you for anything. Well, he will forgive you for anything, but it does matter how you live. And if someone says that to me, I, I would might go, have you ever read Revelation 14? You should read that sometime. The scriptures indeed teach that God is perfect love all the time. We love because he first loved us. He loves us with an everlasting love. Is that true? Has God loved you? Hold your hand up. Oh boy, he's loved me so big time. But here's my point. Love must punish evil. If my daughter is being abused and I love my daughter, if I don't step in, that is abuse on my part. And that is not love. That is not what the father is like. He doesn't like this. Jesus paid our sin debt completely on the cross. He says, it is finished to tell us die. And that is the greatest form of love you can ever experience. For God demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And this is the only way people can be made right with God. It's the only way. Not multiple ways. This is it. So you... Either he can pay your sin debt for you and apply it to your account, or you can carry and keep your sin and face God one day with sin on your record. Only two options. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, It's not God's will that any should perish forever. He will run across the world to reach and help people. The scripture says, Jesus said himself, John 14, 6, I am the what? Say it again, I am the, he's not one of many ways, he is the, the way. He is the what? And he is the what? Only place you get life, it works. Only place. Not two places, not three, only place. And then he went on to say, no man comes to the Father except through me. No man. And the last verse I want to share is Paul wrote, salvation is found in no one else. No one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. No other name. One. And that is pure love. That's the greatest love. And God has literally done everything possible to provide a way for people to escape judgment. And if you don't want his way, you don't have another option. It's your way. So time is coming 
We see a glimpse of it in chapter 14. And there will be one day a last call. There will one day be a last person saved. One day there'll be a last person to repent of their sin and receive Christ as Savior before God's judgment comes. And one of my great passions is telling people about Jesus. And this is what we just saw in this chapter. As we close this part of the service, the most important part are the next moments. But we respond to anything the Holy Spirit might have said to us. Our altars are always open for you to come and do business with God, to repent of your sin, to get right with God, to pray for somebody that's astray, to ask the Lord to make you a soul winner. So let me, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and you people watching online would you do it with me too if your heart has been touched and if you were to die today and you don't know if you would go to heaven or not and your heart is tender would you pray with me to make your decision Would you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord today? Right where you sit, would you pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, that's right. Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of every sin and wash me clean and give me a home in heaven. Because today I give you my life and I will serve you the rest of my days as you give me strength. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just prayed that prayer, would you just hold your hand up right now? Hold your hand up. Wonderful. Hold your hand up. Anyone? Hold your hand up. Anybody else? Well, the altar is open. You're welcome to come. There's people that will pray with you on both sides. And the altar is open for you to come. If you pray to receive Christ, come and see one of us and let us help you get started in your walk with Christ. Let's continue to worship.
a couple of you that raised your hands to accept Christ. And there is nothing like the blood of Jesus to save us. So we are just going to thank him this morning for his blood, for saving each one of us when we were lost. Amen.
Aren't you thankful? Yes. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we are sons and daughters of the Son of Man coming on the cloud. Use us for your glory. And thank you that we are loved forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Slip out quietly. There's people doing business with the Lord. There's people that will pray with you. Pick up your children. Don't leave them here till next Sunday.